All right, good morning, everyone. Let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8 today. Some people have referred to uh, Romans 8 as the crowning jewel of all of Scripture. So if you need a Bible, shoot your hand in the air. We'll, we'll get one to you. And uh, hey, a lot of you have talked to me. You've been concerned that uh, Pastor Jeff shaved his mustache off. And it's troubling. I know. It's just so I've re- requested that he grow it back. And it's coming back this week. He told me he had a little shaving mishap and uh, left him in an unfortunate situation. So he's going to grow it back for us and just a blessing. Thank you, Jeff. That's Pastor Jeff's facial hair update for you guys. Okay. All right. Uh, Romans 8 is, uh, is where we're at. I love uh, getting explanations about water baptism. And, you know, there's a lot of different ways to communicate about water baptism. There's the communication of just like what it is, uh, the reality that, uh, you know, what has happened inwardly is what you are communicating outwardly. You have died to Jesus inwardly. You go into the water outwardly. Uh, You have been buried with Jesus inwardly. You go under the water outwardly. Outwardly, you have been raised with Christ Jesus. If you're a believer, inwardly, you come out of the water outwardly. So it's an outward way to communicate that which is inward. We love that explanation. We love hearing that explanation. Uh, but then there's also other ways to communicate about water baptism, like this. Some some of you need to not be on the fence anymore in your Christian life, and you need to walk with the Lord. Put old things behind. You're a new creature. Get into the water, take it seriously, and walk with Jesus. Be baptized. All right, so that's another way of saying it, and I just felt like I'd say that today. Okay? And that's only for the 11 o'clock service, too, so I don't know what's going on in here. Okay. Welcome, everyone. Let's uh, read together. I want to read the um, whole passage together. Romans 8, 1 to 11. It's kind of ambitious to look at all 11 verses, but I think this will be good uh, for us. So Romans 8, 1 through 11, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those, verse 5, who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind, verse 7, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, verse 9, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, verse 10, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus, verse 11, from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life 
to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this incredible truth. We pray that you'd help us, speak to us, instruct us. Help us, Lord, to more and more have the mind of God, the mind of Jesus, the mind of the Spirit, the mind of the Word of God, dwelling, permeating, living, residing strongly within us. These incredible things you say about us today, help us to receive them, apply them, but, Lord, to continually have a belief, Lord, that this is who you say we are and what we are able to operate in. So we thank you, Lord. We praise you. And bless your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Amen. So I remember uh, last uh, fall, you guys know Mount Toro out here. Toro Park, it's a beautiful place to go. Just get out and kind of stretch the legs, run around a little bit. But uh, there's a little company that, there's a couple races that happen out there. Some of you probably did the Spartan race recently that's out there. Uh, But there's another little company, smaller. They do just a trail race out there in uh, usually August or uh, September, and uh, it's on a Saturday. I can get the date for you if you want to know about it. But anyways, uh, I was able to run that last year, and it's a, it's a tough uh, little run. But anyways, uh, there's a brother in the church who's a really strong runner. A lot, there's actually quite a few really strong runners in the church. I've become friends with a few of them. And one of the guys, he was actually recovering that day from a really big race that he'd done. So he wasn't going to be there running. He was just going to be there kind of supporting, watching, stuff like that. But I entered the race. I knew I wouldn't win or anything like that. But it was just like, let's see if I could finish. Let's see if I could do this. And, uh, but it brought me great encouragement to know that at some point he was going to be at an aid station just kind of cheering and celebrating and Kind of like saying, like, go get them and stuff like that. Because when you're in like a trail race like that, one of the things that happens is a huge mental battle because you just don't see people for a really long time. There will be maybe 60 people in your race, and after a while, you just spread out. Maybe you see somebody in front of you, maybe you see somebody behind you, but you're just kind of out there alone. There's not like fans there up against the, you know, up in the bushes or the top of the trees, you know, cheering for you. You're just alone by yourself, just there with your thoughts, you know, just thinking things like, I could take off this number and I could just walk home right now, you know, like just different thoughts like that go through your head. So it was a really hot day that day. I really didn't realize how hot it was. I was kind of struggling out there. Uh, and I just thought, man, I just, I feel like I'm just not in very good shape. I guess I really wasn't ready for this. Uh, I found out later that it was like 96 degrees that day, but I just didn't know. I just was out there. I'm like, man, I feel so messed up. What's going on? And so I got to a certain point. We come down the hill and before you go back up one more time. And he was there at this little aid station. And I could tell I didn't look good because the way he looked at me, he was like, whoa, hey, Nate, you know, it's okay, man. <laughs> you know, And, and uh, he, he just encouraged me. He gave me some water and gave me some salt to eat and some different things. He's like, you need to have this and you need to have that. And he was just encouraging me. And then he's just like sent me on up the hill. And, uh, and on my way up, you know, I was like just thinking about him. I'm like, man, that was cool. You know, that was encouraging. It was helpful. And it really was helpful. But he is a really talented runner. It would have been even more helpful if somehow he could have just like seen me right there and he could have just been like, hey, let me climb in there and I'll do this race for you. That would have been cool. It would have been cool if the whole time he could have just been whispering in my ear and run with me and just paced me up that hill and said, 
I'm for you. I'm rooting for you. I'm celebrating you. I'm, I want to I help you. I want to encourage you. That would have been really cool. Last week, we saw Paul explain to us that the Christian life can be a battle. He talked about that. He was very honest about his own life. He says, there are moments where I just don't do the things I want to do. And there are times that I cannot do the very thing that I wish I would do. He said, There's, there are moments where I'm able to say, it's no longer I who is, or, or, is doing all of this evil stuff, but it's sin that dwells inside of me. So with my mind, I'm trying to serve God. With my inner man, he says, I'm trying to serve God. But with my flesh, I'm giving in to sin. He says, but, but there's a battle. It's, it's this war that's happening in me. And what Paul announced is that we don't have to remain there. We can actually win in this victory. We can progress in this, in this life. We don't have to live this cycle of sometimes doing well, sometimes defeat. Sometimes well, sometimes defeat. We can actually grow. How? He says, O wretched man that I am, end of Romans 7, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So the question then is this. If I can succeed in this race that's in front of me, I can succeed in this race, in this mortal flesh, this body that God has given me. I can succeed in it on this side of eternity. The question is, how? Well, Paul partly answered it. He said, through Jesus Christ, but how? How does Jesus Christ give me the victory? How does Jesus Christ win this victory inside of me? And that is at least in part, major, a major part. That's what we're going to learn in Romans chapter 8. We're going to learn about how the victory actually works. In the first 27 uh, verses of this chapter, we're going to see Paul refer to the Holy Spirit over 20 times by name and many more times than that indirectly. So in short, how do we win the victory? By the Spirit. By the Spirit, the Spirit of God. So what we're going to learn today is that the Father is cheering for us in this race that we're in, this struggle that we're in. And the Spirit actually is living inside of us, a law of the Spirit to help us in this battle against the flesh. And we're going to learn that what we need to do then is to set our minds more and more on the things of the Spirit and not the things of the flesh so that the Spirit has something to work with in order to give us the victory uh, that he so eagerly desires to give uh, you and me. So that's where we're going uh, today. The first truth, though, that we're going to set our minds on is just the whole first verse, verse 1. So let's look at it again together. I know I already read it to you, but let's read it again. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this is a powerful truth. It takes a, a little explaining, but I think that if you can get this, if you can understand this, it will really help you in, in a lot of different capacities in your Christian life. So there's, there's therefore now, he says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In, in the Greek language that Paul wrote in, uh, you could organize the words in different ways, uh, different than the English language, but you could organize the words of a sentence in different ways to add different emphases or meaning or uh, like a focus in certain ways. And the word that Paul chooses to put first in this sentence is the word no. In other words, what it means is that what Paul is saying is, it's like there is absolutely no possibility 
for someone who's in Christ, a Christian, a believer, there's absolutely no possibility for a Christian to be living under condemnation from God. Right? Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, what is condemnation? What is condemnation? Condemnation, condemnation is a sense of uh, and a position of guilt and where you are in need of basically suffering a sentence that is declared upon you. So if you're guilty, you go to a court of law, you're condemned. There's some kind of sentence that is given to you. So that helps us understand why there's no condemnation for us in Christ Jesus. And the reason for that is because if you're in Christ, that means that Jesus went into that court of law for you, and he was condemned on your behalf. So the very sins that you've committed, will commit, or are committing, those are sins that Jesus himself has already been condemned for. So you're uncondemnable in that sense uh, by God because of what Christ has done for you. Now, I want you to see, though, the flow of where Paul said this and why Paul said this. You see, when Paul was writing these things, it's not like he sat there and he's like, okay, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. We put the chapter breaks and the verse breaks in later in order to help us publicly in like the reading of scripture and memorizing scripture. It would have been a real bummer today if I was like, if there were no chapters and no verses, if I had to say like, okay, turn to that part of the book of Romans that says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. A lot of you would be feeling all condemned because you didn't know where that was, you know? So to say like Romans 8 verse 1, it's just easier to find it. But sometimes what that does to us is it makes us forget that this is a flow of thought. And what Paul has just described is a battle between the spirit and the flesh, the battle between the new you and the body of sin that you still possess. And in the middle of that battle, what Paul wants us to understand before we learn about how we're to overcome that battle, you have to know that God does not speak a condemning word towards his children. It's a major consideration for us in Christ Jesus. You have to understand there's no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus. What is the opposite of condemnation? It's guilt, separation. It's not justification. It's not righteousness. It's guilt before God. Now, there is, from the Holy Spirit, conviction, isn't there? Sometimes I've heard Christians talk about that. Like, there will be something that they know, like, I think I need to grow in this area of my life, but I'm kind of struggling thinking about actually growing in that area of my life because, well, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So I kind of feel bad, like I should grow over here in this area of my life, but no condemnation, so I guess I'm just like, okay. But you think about, like, maybe the attitude of a father towards his children. There's no condemnation. He loves them. He's rooting for them, but he also wants them to grow. He's speaking specific things into their lives. So how do you tell the difference between condemnation and conviction? Well, when you're feeling condemned, condemnation is usually always very vague. You can't put your finger on it. It's like, I feel far from God. I feel like God is angry with me. I feel like he doesn't love me. I feel like he's disappointed in me. I just feel that way. There's nothing specific. It's just very vague. Also, condemnation has a goal of driving us 
away from God. You see, there's no condemnation that comes from God, but our own attitudes, other people, the enemy himself, all want to bring condemnation into our minds and into our hearts. And when that condemnation comes, we run from God rather than running to God. And also, condemnation fills us not with hope, but with despair. When you receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit, however, it's totally opposite. Usually the Spirit will make things very specific. Here's an area in your life and in your heart that I want to grow you in. Also, the conviction of the Holy Spirit drives us to our Father. Thank you, Father, that you want to touch this and do this in my life and in my heart. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit fills us with hope. Because like if, if God is speaking to something and saying, I'm bringing this conviction into your life, I want to grow you in this. Well, when God's saying that kind of thing, it means he wants to actually do that in your life. He's not just pointing something out that he's like, and I'm not even going to try to help you, but I just want to give you conviction about it. No, he wants to actually grow us in it. All right, so conviction is totally different than condemnation. But condemnation will keep you from being the person that God has called you to be. You know, when, I, when Christina and I had Lauren, our first child, our first daughter, um, you know, on that day, I became a dad. You know, I mean, like, obviously, there she is. I'm a dad. But I have a role of being a father. You can kind of neglect that role. You can have it officially, but not do it. But I became a father. It's part of God's now call upon my life. It wasn't like a thing of, I'm praying about it, and I feel like God has called me to be a father. Nope, Lauren came out. And now I'm a father. God has called me to it. However, that can be an intimidating kind of thing. I mean, if, if I'm called to be a father based on what I bring to the table, my performance, what I have done, if I am only allowed to father my children when I have deserved it, then there is barely a moment that I'm able to speak into their lives. Because I'm an imperfect person. They live with me. They watch me at times get upset or frustrated or short. They see those realities. I mean, I try to live a righteous, godly life. I'm trying to give them an example of what a godly man is. But I am not able to speak into their lives because I've deserved the position. But because God has looked at me and said, there's no condemnation for you. And this is part of who I have now made you, remade you to be. But when I'm operating under condemnation, you know what I do? I cease to parent. I cease to speak into their lives. I pull away from them. I say, who am I to talk into their lives? And of course, that would be a damaging effect upon their development, upon their growth, because God has designed them to need a father. You see, condemnation will take you off the shelf. It will pull you away from what God wants to use you for. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Christina and I were kind of just having this little experience. And she was just kind of going through this inner conversation within her own heart about just a relational kind of thing that she was working through with someone else. And as she's going through it, she was kind of, I could tell there was a little bit of like self, you know, doubt. Like, am I this way? Am I that way? And, uh, you know, I love my wife. And I respect my wife. Maybe some of you husbands, you kind of understand, like, you know, it says in Ephesians 5 that husbands are to uh, love their wives and wives are to respect their husbands. 
And maybe some of you husbands, you've looked at your wife over the years and you've discovered how easy it is to respect them. You know, the respect side of things flows so easily, but maybe like it's not as natural to you to be loving and sacrificial, but that's what the word tells us to do. Well, it's easy for me to like respect Christina. I have a lot of respect for her. She loves the Lord. She's devoted to God. She's probably feeling very awkward right now, even that I'm saying nice things about her. She's not like, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah me uh, kind of thing. Like she just like, that's just not her style, but I respect her a lot. Sometimes in a way to where it's like, who am I to speak into her life? Who am I to encourage her? Who am I to help her? She's just got such a strong walk with the Lord. Who am I to do that? But in that moment, as we were talking, I just felt like the Lord was saying to me, you, you need to encourage her and you need to speak into her heart and into her life who she really is. And so I just started sharing with her, you're this and you're that and this is what I see. This is who I believe you are. This is who I think Christ has made you to be. And in that moment, uh, I just felt like I just felt like her body relaxed, I'm just like that's true, that's true, that's true. Not what I was starting to believe, but that, that's true. But if I'd been operating under condemnation at that moment, feeling like who am I, who am I? I can't do that. I can't speak in that kind of way. Then I wouldn't have been able to be used in her life at that moment, and she wouldn't have been able to receive that, potentially that truth in that moment. You see, I think condemnation slows us down so much in the Christian life. There is therefore now, he says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have to get to a place mentally where we understand we are approved by God. We have to get to that place where, where we understand I am received by God. I am accepted by God. This is what the book of Romans, in fact, is all about. Paul said in Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, he declared, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. For just as it's written, the just shall live by faith. This is what every human being on earth is chasing. Righteousness from God. We don't know it, but we're, we want it. Because righteousness is worth. Righteousness is worth. It's God declaring you have worth in my sight. You are worthy in my sight. You are accepted in my sight. And this is what we need so badly. And what Paul is announcing is that in the midst of that gnarly struggle of Romans 7, God looks at us as his children, those of us who are believers, and he says, you don't have condemnation. There's no condemnation for you. You're my kids. I love you. I know the battle. I see the struggle. I know that, but I love you. You belong to me. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I've known people for years who have just operated in their Christian life under condemnation. And it's unfortunate because it hasn't come from God. It's come from maybe your own attitudes and perspectives. It's maybe come from some trip someone else put upon you. It's maybe come from a lie that the enemy has wanted you to believe. But it hasn't, apparently, according to Romans 8, verse 1, and the totality of the New Testament, it hasn't come from God. Right? So that's a beautiful position that we have in Christ Jesus. Amen? Okay, so we have no condemnation in Christ Jesus.
How then, okay, so that's, that's us understanding. It's like our Father in heaven, he's pulling for us. He desires, he, he wants us to make it. He's rooting for us. He is not against us in this race and in this struggle. He's not like waiting for us to fail. He's wanting our success. He's wanting us to do well. He's wanting us to grow. He's rooting for us and cheering for us and desiring for us to be able to be more and more conformed into the image of Christ. How then can that happen? Is that all he does? Is he just kind of pull for us? Is there more? Well, of course there's more. That's what we read in verse 2 through 4. All right, so let me read it to you again. He says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In order that, here's why, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, this is a powerful announcement that Paul is making. Remember last week, Paul announced there's a law of sin. There's the law of my mortal body that likes sin, wants to sin, and when confronted with the righteous requirement of God's law, wants to Rebel against sin. Right? So he used the example of the commandment, thou shall not covet. You hear that commandment? He said, I heard that commandment, and it did two things to me. He said, number one, it made me realize I have covetousness in my heart. It's there. I'm guilty. But number two, he said, it produced more covetousness. God said, this is yours and not that, and I said, but I want that. I covet for that. I desire that. The law came, and it produced even more sin. So that law is there. Here's what Paul announces in these three verses, verse 2 to 4. There's a new law. That's hard for us to understand, because we use the word law in a slightly different way. Let me say it like this. There's a new principle. Maybe think of it like, There's the principle or the law of gravity. There's the principle or the law, Paul announces here, of the spirit of life. So just as the law of gravity pulls us down, but the law of aerodynamics can get us up into the air in an airplane, the law of sin pulls us in towards, down towards sin, but the law of the spirit of life For a believer wants to pull us and will pull us up into a more righteous standard of life and living before God. That's what Paul is announcing in this moment. That inside of every believer is the Holy Spirit of God and the law of the Spirit is working inside of us. The principle of the Spirit is working inside of us to help us overcome, to be changed and transformed. How? I mean, what? What is going to happen? So that, verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So remember that thing, you shall not covet? The wrong response now for a Christian is to say, oh, that was the law. And so now when I'm confronted with my covetous desires, hey, it doesn't matter. Because I've been divorced from the law, or better yet, I died to the law, and I'm now remarried to Jesus So the law doesn't matter. No, Paul says the law is good. 
The law's good. It's spiritual. Here what he's saying is that when you confront the you shall not covet, what you can say to yourself now is, I cannot do that in my own strength, but the law of the Spirit inside of me, the principle of the Spirit inside of me, the new covenant of the Spirit inside of me, he wants to cut out the covetousness inside my heart, and he wants to pull it out of my life and give me victory over it. Praise God. So what we're learning here is that the Spirit of God actually wants to bring us to a place of helping us to overcome the tendencies of the desires of the flesh. The law of the Spirit can help us to uh, overcome. And this is a really big part, I think, of the Christian uh, life. You remember in John's Gospel, there was a moment where Jesus, he went to a well in Samaria. He was on a journey. He stopped at a well at the heat of the day. And a woman came to draw water. He said to her, give me something to drink. And he was a Jew. She was a Samaritan. She said, you know, and she knew that in that culture, Jews and Samaritans just didn't mix with each other. So she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a a drink of water from me, a Samaritan woman? And he said to her, well, if, if you knew who was asking you for a drink of water, you would have asked him for water and he would have given you water and you would never thirst again she she's like what are you what are you talking about this well we got from jacob where where do you where where's this water where no one's ever going to thirst again where's that going to come from and he said again if you would if you would believe then out of your heart would flow rivers of living water now she didn't understand what that meant John would tell us later that Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit, rivers of living water flowing from our lives. But she didn't get that. And so Jesus had to point out to her the emptiness of her life. He said to her, go get your husband. And the reason he said that is because then she responded and said, well, I I don't have a husband. And he said, it's right that you say you don't have a husband because you've been married to many men. And the person, the man that you're living with now is not even your husband. In other words, what Jesus was doing, he wasn't trying to embarrass her. This was a private moment between him and her. But what he was trying to do was to demonstrate to her, you are thirsty. You are so thirsty, and you thought that your thirst would be satisfied with man after man after man. And each one of these men you've discovered could not satiate the desire inside of your heart. But what I am offering to you, the Holy Spirit living inside of you and flowing from you, this is where your satisfaction can truly and really and experientially come from. What Paul is saying here is that, yes, we have a battle between flesh and the new man, that the Spirit of God is living inside of us. What we need to understand is that this is the great and the good and the blessed life. The things of the Spirit is the Spirit is working inside of us. You know, this last week, uh, Christina and I sent away our middle daughter, Violet, away to um, a Christian camp in Hume Lake. It's about four hours away from here. And we sent her away. She's going into fifth grade. So we sent her away to this little camp. And um, 
we knew like, okay, this is our first time. She's going to be away from us, you know, for like seven days, you know, it's just a long time. And they do this thing where like, you just have no, there's not even like a payphone. I mean, I don't even know if my daughters would know what to do with a payphone anyways, you know, like they're like, would pick it up, be like, Siri, dial mom, you know, like <laughs> just have no idea. When we see them, I'm like, that's a payphone. You put money in it, dial the number. But anyways, um, there's like no contact, you know, no contact. If there's an emergency, they'll get a hold of you, you know, or whatever. I think it's great, you know, like they need the separation. We need the separation, you know, the whole deal. But anyways, when she was getting ready to go to camp, uh, they say, like, give your kids some spending money because there's a little shop that they could buy food and stuff, snacks at certain times of the day. So Christina had asked me, she's like, hey, you know, they have a little thing where you can give credit to the store, and then they just go in, they say their name, and they have, like, a little tab, or we just give her money. I'm like, let's just give her the money. You know, if she loses it, then she learned a really big lesson. Like, she's big girl, she can handle it. So then they, they went, and she dropped her off. Christina did last Sunday, and uh, it turns out you're not even allowed to give your kids actual cash. They're, they don't even receive it. Little kids that age have too many problems, so they just say, it's store credit or nothing. So, like, we, Christina comes home, and we're just like, man, we have no idea. Like, how's she doing? Is she having a good time? You know, is she enjoying herself? Is she making friends? You know, whatever. Uh, but they had this little, like, thing where you could see the account balance on their little credit thing. And so like for the first few days, after a while we realized that there was a camp photographer taking pictures and uploading pictures so we could like see some pictures of how she was doing. But for the first couple of days, we thought the only way we can keep track of her is by seeing like, has she been buying things in the snack shop, you know? And then we were so stoked because it actually said what they buy, you know? So it's like, oh, Skittles, she bought Skittles Monday. Oh, she's, she's doing good, Skittles, you know, <laughs> whatever. Just desperate parents. But it was so cool because, like, we're watching that, you know, and we checked in, like, I was thinking it was Wednesday or Thursday or something. So it's, like, midpoint and getting closer to the end of camp. And we just saw this little entry in the store. It said, $5 donation to missions. You know, like we saw that, you know, and it was like, in my mind, I like filled in all the blanks. You know, I had no questions. It was like, there was a message about missions and it's like a missions theme and Violet wants to be a missionary. Yeah. You know, like I was just so pumped and excited. Like I was like, I had to find out later what happened. And that was kind of a little bit of what happened. But in that moment, like for, for like, why was, why was I touched by that? I was touched by that. Cause it's like, girl, that's what life is about. There are these things of the flesh that are constantly going to be pulling against us. These desires that having my identity and how I look or the success, the external, the money in my bank account, things like that. But Paul is saying there is a law of the spirit inside of you. Give yourself to the things of the Spirit. Give yourself to the desires of the Spirit. He goes on to say it very simply in this way in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
In other words, what Paul is saying there, and this might be a confusing little section of Scripture for us because a lot of times I will say this. I'll say, I've been operating in the flesh. And what I mean by that is I know that for a Christian man, there's a struggle between flesh and spirit. Paul said that in Galatians 5. Walk in the spirit so that you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So I know that as a redeemed, born-again person, I can operate in the flesh or I can operate in the spirit. My choice. So when we read those verses that I just read to you, we might think, what's he talking about? The flesh and the spirit. What he's saying here is... Before you were saved, you were only in the flesh. And now that you're a Christian, your position is in the Spirit. And we have an opportunity. How will we live? Will we set our minds on the things of the flesh? Or will we set our minds? That's the phrase he uses over and over again. Set your minds. Set their minds. Will I set my mind on the things of the flesh? Or will I set my mind on the things of the spirit? That's why we rejoiced over that little missions. Five dollars entry. It was things of the spirit. You'd ask yourself, what does the spirit care about? What does the spirit long for? What does the spirit desire? And maybe ask yourself, what does the flesh desire? What what, what are the things that the flesh is into? And where am I setting my mind? Am I setting my mind on the things of the spirit? Or am I setting my mind on the things of the flesh? You all have parents. We all do. Some of them really good. Maybe some of them really good in part. Some of them not so good. (laughs) The Bible teaches us as children that we're to honor our father and we're to honor our mother. There's a position that they have in our lives. The flesh would want setting our minds on the things of the flesh. The flesh would want bitterness, unforgiveness, Envy, anger. But the Spirit, setting our minds on the things of the Spirit, would want honor and esteem and love and thankfulness for whatever elements we can be thankful for in that relationship and dynamic. We all have the inward attitude of the mind. The the mind or the heart, the things of the flesh would be to think continually in a negative kind of way to be judgmental and harsh and critical towards others to be critical and harsh and judgmental towards the self to have a lack of trust and confidence and belief in God to have a root of bitterness and anger that's within but the things of the spirit would be to be set free of that to have a heart that believes in what God can do in my life, what God can do in a person's life and heart. You see, there's the things of the spirit and there's the things of the flesh. Where are we going to set our minds? Where are we going to set our hearts? And so often, this is just what it is in our everyday lives. He says in verse 6 that the life of the spirit is a life that is of life and peace. And maybe for you, you look into your heart a little bit And you realize, I don't have a lot of peace. I don't have a lot of life. Perhaps 
you've gone on with a line of thinking or a pattern or a behavior that is just a thing of the flesh, and it's led to a lack of life, a lack of joy, a lack of peace. I know for me, every time I get to a place where I don't have that joy that Jesus promised us in John chapter 15, he said, these things I write to you so that your joy may be full. A full joy Christian experience. That's what my relationship with the Lord is designed to be like. But I know that when that joy goes away, there's some kind of flesh thought or flesh you know, line of behavior that has crept into my life. Lord, where do I need to shift from being in the flesh to now setting my mind again on the things of the Spirit? And so that's what Paul is sharing with us. We have the beautiful, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the opportunity to live by the Spirit, to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. So maybe ask yourself, what is dear to the flesh and what is dear to the Spirit? I want to set my mind in the right place. You, however, verse 9, let's close this out together. Our final little paragraph, he reminds us of some powerful truths He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you're born again, basically, if you're a new believer or if you're a Christian, you have the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living inside of you. But verse 10 If Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So the Holy Spirit working inside of you, uh, he's in you, he's within you. If the spirit, verse 11, of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What he's saying here, you might have noticed in verse 9, 10, and 11, that every person of the triune Godhead is mentioned. You have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. You have uh, the Spirit working in you to give you the resurrected kind of life that Jesus has, but it is the Father that is doing that powerful resurrecting work in your mortal body. So the promise here that Paul is making is that the entirety of the triune Godhead is pointing his attention towards our growth, our victory, our sanctification, so that our mortal bodies, some people think that what Paul is saying is, someday you'll be resurrected. And that is true. Someday we will be resurrected. But he doesn't say give life to your immortal bodies. He says give life to your mortal bodies. I think what he's saying is right now, God is looking at us in this struggle that Paul described in Romans 7. And he says, I see it. I see that there's a battle between the flesh and the spirit. I see that battle. There's no condemnation for you in that battle. I'm putting the principle of the spirit inside of you to aid you in that battle. And I want you to know that my desire, my will for your life, Christians struggle with this all the time. What's God's will for my life? Here's his will for every single one of our lives that our mortal bodies would experience right now 
some of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. He wants to help us. He wants to help us. He wants to lift us up and pull us past the tendencies of sin and flesh and help us to understand we're approved. The Spirit is helping us as I set my mind on the things of the Spirit. Victory is mine in Christ Jesus. So he wants to help us so much. He wants to help us so much. So last thing. This week I'm going to head down uh, tomorrow. Actually, every summer there's a big old conference with a bunch of Calvary Chapel pastors in Southern California. So I'm going to head down and go to that. I've been going for years. And um, it's always an interesting experience. I'm expectant that God's going to speak to me and that he'll speak through me to other people. I'm not teaching or anything, but just in the fellowship, the uh, times of reconnection with different pastors and and all that. But, um, you know, I'm like you. I look around at other people compare myself to them at times, you know, sometimes in like a, like not a good kind of way. And, you know, I've had to like, over the years, as I've gone to stuff like this, you know, I've seen like pastors, I'm like, man, that pastor's awesome. He's cool. He'd probably do a better job pastoring my church than I would, (laughs) you know, like, you know, and just kind of going through that inner battle of the mind and of the heart. Sometimes feeling condemnation, seeing like good things in other people that you're like, oh, well, I'm not like that. There's something different about me. I'm wired in a different way. I'm made in a different kind of way. And to kind of battle and struggle with that kind of reality. And the Lord over the years has had to show me, look, you're, there's no condemnation for you. I actually am, I like you, okay? Like, I'm for you. You're my child, I called you, I love you so much. There's no condemnation for you, okay? And number two, there are some things that we are going to work on. You're going to grow in. And I'm going to put and have put the principle, the law of the Spirit inside of you to help you. So you're not a perfect pastor. They're not perfect pastors. You're not perfected and in glory yet. But you're growing, and I'm going to help you do that. And then thirdly, just keep setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, and you're going to grow. So there are things that you're going to see in some of these other guys that are a blessing. And if I'm starting to show you, like, hey, that's an area you're going to grow in, then great. Praise me for that. But just keep walking, as the word he used in verse 4. Keep walking with me, and I'm going to let you taste a little bit of that resurrection power in your mortal body right now. So maybe for you, you need to think about that in your own context and say, okay, Lord, here I am. I'm like all a mess comparing and contrasting and feeling condemned. Maybe you need to get to a place in your own heart where you go, God has called me. He loves me. He's chosen me. I'm his child. I'm not condemned before him, but he's put his spirit in me to grow me. And now I need to just set my mind more and more on the things of the spirit so that the spirit in me can do that work of growing me in the here and now. Amen? So you're starting to see how this really isn't a self-effort kind of thing, but just the Spirit of God working in us as we set our minds upon His stuff. All right, so let's pray. And uh, I'll pray a blessing uh, upon you and upon your life and that God would care for all of us this week. So Father, we just love you so much. 
We love you so much. We're so thankful, Lord, to you for your grace, your mercy, your power, your patience, Lord, in our lives. You're so good. You're just so good. Thank you for the strong position that we have, not condemned, uncondemnable in Christ. It's incredible, Lord. So now, thank you for giving us your spirit, just that law of the spirit. If, if we're really believers, we're just going to be growing. So we pray, Lord, that you'd help us now to just continually set our minds upon the things of the spirit so that we might grow more and more to be like Jesus, to get that resurrection power inside of these bodies of ours. Help us, Lord. And Father, something that I would just pray for is that if there is a line of thinking or behavior in us that is of the flesh and not the spirit, would you point it out to us so that we could escape it and get the life and peace that belongs to us in Christ Jesus? So I thank you, Lord. I pray your blessing upon all your people today, Lord. Help us to grow this week. Provide for us, Lord, all this week. Defend us. Speak to us this week. Encourage us. Help us, Lord, to live a life of integrity for you, Lord, this week. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand together and sing.